Thanks for listening to the weekend message from Abundant Life Church. Most weeks on the podcast, you'll hear teaching from our lead pastor, Jeremy Jernigan. We have campuses in Oregon and Washington and are committed to giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. Find out more about Abundant Life Church at alcpnw.com. Well, good morning. Well, in my days as a youth pastor working with high school and middle school students, we decided that it would be a good idea if we took all of our high school students downtown to serve those that are living outside, those without a home. Uh, And so we we were going to go for a couple of days, and this was kind of a challenge for our our students. We actually found out we had a number of students that had lived their whole lives in the kind of the eastern suburbs of Portland and had never once ventured downtown. And so they were a bit nervous, to say the least. And, and one of the things they were nervous about was, if I have the opportunity to talk about Jesus, what do I say? And so we, we started kind of walking them through that. And a number of them made these bullet points of, of, well, I should probably talk about how Jesus came and lived. And I should probably talk about how he died on the cross to save me from my sins. I should probably talk about how he rose from the dead. Uh, and, and we get all prepared. Our students are nervous and excited. And we load up and we head downtown. And when we get to the organization we're going to serve with, they had a, a host, a representative that was going to give us kind of an introduction, what to expect while we're serving. And while he was giving that introduction, he made a, a statement or a request of our students that absolutely shocked us. He said, do not share the gospel tonight. And all of a sudden, I'm like, did we choose the wrong place? And I'm looking at my leaders like, I'm sorry. Uh, but he continued to do not share the gospel with the people you're serving tonight. They probably know it better than you do. They have to hear it to get their food. And all of a sudden, it clicked for me that, that in some ways, for the people we were serving, the gospel had become a form of currency that uh, before I get food, before I get support, before I get clothing, uh, that you got to hear a gospel message, there's going to be an opening prayer, and then, and then we'll start the serving part. And so really what he was saying is these people have heard it over and over again. Some people that we were serving had already heard a gospel message probably one, two, three times that day. And so they may know it better than we do. So one of our students shot up their hand and said, well, then what are we supposed to do? And this is all that they had like built up. I had this already. And he said, you can ask questions and share your story because they haven't heard that yet. Well, welcome to Abundant Life Church. My name is David Grigg, and I'm the pastor of groups here. And we are just so excited that you're a part of this with us, whether you're here in Happy Valley in the room or in Sandy, Vancouver, online, either watching or listening. Uh, We're excited that you're a part of this series. Uh, We're in a series called Good News, where we're really diving into our mission statement of giving ourselves to make the gospel good news for others. And last week, Jeremy kicked us off by talking about what is this good news? What is there that we are responding? to and how can we respond to the gospel if it is truly good news. And today I want to continue that conversation by, by really asking what does it look like to share the gospel in a way that actually communicates it as truly good news. I think that is a challenge for us. So if you're, uh, if you're with me and you have a journal, uh, you can turn to page two or week two and, uh, and follow along with us. If you want to follow along in your Bible, whether that's a device or a Bible with pages, uh, you can turn to Acts 17. That's where we're going to be a little later on. 
Well, just like the, the people my students and I were serving that night, those, those days, I think in our context, in the Pacific Northwest, maybe even North America in general, the gospel, the information of the gospel is pretty common news. Whether it's in a pamphlet or whether it's somebody going door to door, for some reason, people are aware of the information of the gospel. I think if you were to ask your friend or your neighbor or your coworker, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? You would probably get some form of those bullet points my students were making. Of, well, Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins and he rose again. And whether or not that's actually believed is another question. But I think that information is fairly well known. And, I, and since it's general knowledge, it can be really hard to, to convey anything that's new. But what makes this information, what makes this news, what makes this knowledge good news is how that information, this person, that event changes lives. Amen? Amen. Uh, the, the theologian Barbara Brown Taylor said it like this, Christians are not particularly gifted at knowing how we sound to others, especially in parts of the world where our voices are the loudest and the most numerous. I believe that Christians are widely known for our information and for our arguments. People largely know what Christians believe, what their stances are supposed to be, what arguments they have, what their views are, rather than what our experiences are with Jesus. What, what, what we found in Jesus, how we respond to Jesus, what our lives are like when we follow Jesus. And don't get me wrong, what we believe is important. That information is important. Our stances, our views, our beliefs are important. If you go on our website, we have a list of eight essential historical beliefs of the church that we affirm. And I think Pastor Jeremy is going to be talking about that a bit next week. But aside from what we believe, how we live is crucially important. How do we live in response to that belief? How do we live in response to that person, that event, this information? How does that change our lives. And this isn't a new concern. This isn't a new struggle that we have. The Apostle Paul, uh, in his letters that we find in the New Testament, was constantly talking about how do we live in response to what we're saying that we believe. And in those letters to the church at Corinth, he uh, had this theme of the stumbling block that I think is fascinating. And just for a bit, I want to follow this theme through the letters to the Corinthians, starting 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Now looking at this, who is the stumbling block? It's Jesus. I heard some whispers. That's okay. Uh, it's, it's Jesus. That, he's saying that when people encounter Jesus, he's going to be different than what they've seen, different than what they might expect. It's going to take a little bit to wrestle with, to chew on, to, to see how does Jesus engage us in this world that we live in. It can be an obstacle or a stumbling block, and Paul affirms this. But then he felt the need to clarify. There's a sequel to 1 Corinthians. It's called 2 Corinthians. It's his second letter, uh, and it says this in chapter 6. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. What we see in these two passages is Jesus is the stumbling block, and you and I are not. And I think often Christians, and I've been guilty of this, cause people to stumble over ourselves instead of allowing people to stumble over Jesus when they get to him. 
that people have seen a picture of the gospel. They've been communicated a picture of the gospel that's full of expectations, demands, maybe information, maybe hate, maybe judgment. This is what's received. And then we try to communicate that we have been changed, that we found hope and joy in Jesus. And we start to see how this can be a stumbling block, how this can be hard to grasp, to reconcile. And if people are stumbling over us, we become an obstacle instead of a witness. I believe that you and I are called to be witnesses of the Jesus that we have encountered. That, that when we have a story of Jesus and how he has changed our lives, it is our role to, to then be able to share what he has done in our lives, to be a witness to Jesus rather than an obstacle. But it can become easy to set up our own expectations in the way, oh, we'll get to Jesus, but first we need to settle some of these other things, Right? instead of just leading and pointing the way. And that doesn't mean that people won't find their way to Jesus if we make ourselves stumbling blocks. Jesus has a, a miraculous, amazing way of drawing people to himself, regardless of what you and I may do. What it might mean, though, is that you and I don't get the joy, the honor, and the privilege of joining that journey, of walking with other people, of being a part of that story that he is inviting us to. Well, those passages are from letters uh, written by the Apostle Paul. What's amazing about our New Testaments is we have uh, these letters written by Paul, and we can actually look at the book of Acts to see stories about Paul and how he lived. And that's what we're going to do this morning, if you're with me, in Acts 17. Uh, we find Paul in the city of Athens, and he's kind of on a layover. He's been uh, with a bunch of people. They kind of dropped him off in Athens, and he's waiting for some other people to guide him to the next place. It wasn't really a destination for him. There wasn't a church yet in Athens for him to check in with. But he's walking around the city, and he sees temples and shrines and statues of gods everywhere. And it says that his heart was troubled, that he was burdened about this idolatry, about all of these gods that were around the city of Athens. So he starts conversations in first the synagogue and then out in the marketplace, and it starts to get some attention as street preachers often get some attention. But this is kind of unique, how Paul is approached. And that's what I want to dive into, Acts 17, starting in verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All of the Athenian and, uh, Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. What I want to point out here that's kind of unique, especially in our, maybe our experience with, with Christians in the church, is Paul was invited. He was invited to share. He didn't impose. He didn't assert. He was invited. There was something about how he was sharing in the marketplace that people said, I want to hear more. Do you want to come over? And think about how rare that is when you think about uh, maybe street preachers, maybe, or maybe you just imagine Christians that you know are your own experience, how rare and what an honor it is to be invited into someone else's space to share your perspective. And he's not just invited to any space. This is the Areopagus, which is where the, the greatest thinkers and philosophers of the day would come and discuss God and life. And Paul was invited into that conversation. It is truly remarkable. So let's take a look at when he has a chance to speak, what he says. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, 
to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And you might read that last sentence, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and think, oh, sick burn, Paul, they're so ignorant, they have no idea who they're worshiping. But I want to frame this uh, in their worldview, in their context. If you're familiar with Greek mythology, maybe you have to remember back to high school, or maybe you have like Disney's Hercules in mind, that would give you a pretty good picture. Um, But the, the Greeks believed in a pantheon of gods that there's an, a never-ending list of gods and demigods that were being born and created and all of these different stories that we can follow. And it was believed that it would be foolishness to think that you had all the knowledge of the gods. And so when Paul says you're ignorant of, of what you worship, you're ignorant uh, of the very thing you worship, he's really affirming their worldview. I think the response would, would be, yeah, you're supposed to be. Like, it would be foolishness otherwise. And he uses that to talk about, well, I know a God that you're unaware of. And let's begin that conversation. And, and we're going to skip down to verse uh, 28 here uh, as Paul is talking about this God that he knows because he makes another connection I think is fascinating. Verse 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that we that the divine beings, uh, being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. And so he's communicating, we can't make God. Well, we're his offspring, and in him we live and move and have our being. We can't shape things that are God's. Uh, but when we look at these two phrases that he uses, for in him we live and move, have our being, and we are his offspring, we see these quotation marks. And typically in the New Testament, when you see quotation marks, it means you can look back in your Bible and you can look at the words of Jesus or maybe a psalm or a proverb or somewhere in the law and you can find this. He's quoting somewhere, somewhere back. But if you look for these phrases earlier in the Bible, you will not find them. Because as Paul said himself, these are actually quotes from Greek poets. And what's amazing is they weren't talking about the God of the Bible. They weren't talking about the God that Paul is following, the God that looks like Jesus. They were talking about Zeus, the king of the gods, the head of the gods in Greek mythology. And just for fun, I want to take a look at these poems, if, if, if you're up for it with me. Uh, the first one is from a, a man named Epimenides, who was a philosopher from the island of Crete. And what he was known for was arguing for the immortality of Zeus, that there were some people arguing like, Zeus can be hurt, Zeus can be killed, there will be an end to Zeus's life. And uh, Epimenides said, no, he's immortal. He's never ending. And he wrote this poem. They fashioned a tomb for you, holy and high one. Cretans, always liars, evil beasts, idle bellies. But you are not dead. You live and abide forever. For in you, we live and move and have our being. And this is a little bit different context than maybe we're used to seeing that. This doesn't sound quite like a psalm uh, in, in our Bibles. This is something altogether different. The second is from a man named Eridus, who is a philosopher from Sicily. And this one's a little bit more on the nose, a little bit more poignant about about Zeus. It says, let us begin with Zeus, whom we mortals never leave unspoken. For every street, every marketplace is full of Zeus. Even the sea and the harbor are full of his deity. Everywhere, everyone is indebted to Zeus, for we are indeed his offspring." So we look at these, we're like, why would Paul be directing people to these poems? Why would he be bringing these to mind that all these philosophers would have been familiar with? Well, he's making common ground. He's finding, where can we start this conversation? He's saying, you believe that it's in God, in Zeus, we live and move and have our being. I believe the same thing, just about a different God. 
saying, you believe you're God's offspring. I believe that, just about a different God. Can we start there? Can we start where we have some agreement? And he starts to talk about this God that looks like Jesus and starting the conversation. So what do we learn about Paul from this interaction? Well, first, he valued and validated the Greek worldview. He said, I see in every way you are very religious. He's almost gushing with compliments right, about, about their traditions and, and how they view the world. But then he didn't see that worldview as totally disconnected from his own. He took the time to learn Greek poetry. He took the time to walk around and look at temples and shrines and read inscriptions and to learn about these people that he was interacting with. And then he made connections to his own worldview. He didn't see it as ultimately disconnected from his own. And because he took a posture of someone that was fascinated and curious and respectful of people, he had the honor to be invited into their space and share his own perspective. And we even get to see the response. If you skip down to verse 32, it says, when they had heard about the resurrection of the dead, this is kind of a new concept, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council, and some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. So some people sneered, some people scoffed or laughed, and other people said, I want to hear more. And I think what this shows us is this isn't a golden ticket idea. This isn't like the perfect model where if you do this, everyone's going to respond and everyone's going to want to hear you. What it shows us is that when we respect other people, when we put ourselves in a posture of curiosity, when we put ourselves in a posture of validation, then we might have the opportunity to share and we might even be in the, in the realm that we are invited to share more. Because to make the gospel good news, we must be willing to listen and then share. Without listening, we don't know where and how people are approaching God. We don't know what their experiences have been, what their journey has been, what experiences have shaped their view of God, shaped their view of church, shaped their view of the Bible. We don't know their, their pain. We don't know their, their loneliness. We don't know the common ground that we just might share because everyone is on a spiritual journey. Everyone has a spiritual story. People are looking for meaning, for purpose. People are wrestling with how do I view God? How do I view uh, the church? Because in our context, churches and church people are everywhere. So everybody has to wrestle with how do I do that interaction? And we have the opportunity to come alongside people in that story, on that journey. So the question is, how do we listen well? How do we approach our neighbors and our friends in a way that, that we might be able to learn how they're viewing God, the questions that they're asking, the struggles that they're having? Well, first, and this is really profound, we ask. We ask questions. Isn't that where, where we start to learn? Uh, but then after we ask, we have to listen well. So I'm going to share three tools, kind of three uh, thoughts that you can keep in mind to know that you are listening well. The first is to validate. And that is simply to say, I can learn from you. It's approaching people with open hands and saying, I'm not saying we're, we're going to agree. I'm not saying I'm coming to your side or you're coming to mine. I'm not even saying there's sides. I can learn from you. 
that my, my, my knowledge, my wisdom can grow from our interaction. Uh, my wife and I had the honor of hosting a student from Saudi Arabia a few years back. Uh, we hosted him for a whole school year while he was learning uh, English at a local university. And I'll always remember one of our first interactions. It was, I think, the second week that he was with us, and we were just hanging out in the, in the living room. And somehow our conversation drifted towards, uh, towards God and faith. And he was aware that I was a pastor of a local church, and I was aware that he was a devout Muslim man that met, spent his whole life in Saudi Arabia. Um, and, and what was amazing was he started telling us, if you have any questions about the Quran, about prayer, about uh, worship, about my faith, I would love to have those conversations, and I would love to hear about what it's like to be a Christian. And that posture rocked my world, and, 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 and he was able to display it for me, of I can learn from you. And because we were able to hold that posture, each of us, we were able to have beautiful conversations over the course of a year and learn about things. I remember we were hosting a small group in our home at the time, and he would talk about, it's amazing the kind of community you have with the people that you worship with. That's something I haven't experienced. Like I might go to prayer and then go on my day, but, but you Christians just keep interacting with each other. You, this just keeps going. And, uh, and then what was amazing is I was able to resonate with his posture of prayer and his view of prayer. That's something I struggled with, but it seemed to come so easy to him. And it, and it seemed to be just a rhythm in his life that I could learn from. And it's not that we exchanged worldviews or that we persuaded one another. It's that we held that posture of being able to learn from one another. Second is to show curiosity, to not assume that you know. I think we have this, this hardwiring where if we can just simplify and categorize the world, things will be a little bit easier. And so we start to say things like, I know people like you, or I know your type. And that, and that happens if you're talking about, oh man, I know how Democrats are. I know how conservatives are. Oh, all doctors are the same. You know, we get, we get this kind of language. Uh, the, the one that I think of all the time is Yankee fans. Like, I know that type. I know what to expect. But what if we approached each person with the mindset of I've never met anyone like you? Wouldn't that be a little bit more honest? If we really believe that every person is made uniquely, if every person has unique personality and giftings and talents and passions, wouldn't it be more honest to approach each person with that mindset of I've never met anyone like you? How would that transform our interactions? And third, to find common ground. To be able to start with what unites us rather than what divides us. I think it's common for us to grab those little snippets, those words or phrases that we disagree with and hold on to our arguments until someone's done talking, right? And be ready to respond. But what if instead we grabbed onto the words or statements that we resonated with, that we shared? So that when we have the opportunity to respond, we can respond in a positive way that shapes that interaction so that we might have the honor to be invited to share more, to show that level of respect and validation. The theologian Henry Nouwen says this, listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends, to get to know their inner selves more fully, and even to dare to be silent with you. What we often forget is that listening well is making the gospel good news. That listening well is making the gospel good news. That sometimes making the gospel good news isn't saying something. It's keeping ourselves from saying something. It's, it's listening fully. It's showing value 
to others. It's showing that we care. As Nowen said, it's a form of showing spiritual hospitality by which strangers could become friends. What if that shaped our interactions? But listening is so contrary to our typical natural conversations that I think it takes a level of practice and discipline, uh, not just to get there, but to stay there, right? Because uh, we have these natural ways that we interact with each other. One of them is we commonly listen to respond rather than listening to understand. We often listen, what, what, what in what you're saying can I just jump onto and respond to rather than fully listening to everything you're saying so that I can understand you? What if, uh, what if that's how we approached it? Because uh, it can be so difficult to set aside our pride that urge to defend our view when we hear another view, and our desire to be heard rather than to listen. And, and, and that pride also keeps us from entering into other people's stories and allowing it to maybe change us a little bit. That takes a level of vulnerability, not to persuade us, not to change our worldview, not to, uh, not to set aside everything we believe in our convictions, but maybe to open up our understanding of those around us. Because doing shows shows spiritual hospitality. It shows that we care, and it might just show the gospel before we say a word. So I enjoy uh, listening to slam poetry and spoken word. I know that's kind of a niche interest, uh, but it's not uncommon for me to sit on YouTube for too long listening to uh, different slam poets and, and spoken word artists. And one, one of the reasons I really enjoy it is it's a really honest and authentic form of art, where you really hear some, someone's honest and raw expression. And it also is as a, as a way for me to practice without even having the ability to respond. I, I mean, I, I guess I could yell at and argue with the computer screen, but it wouldn't do much good, right? But it gives us that opportunity to, to, to practice, and, and that's why I love doing it. And so I'm going to give us an opportunity to practice listening well. I'm going to show you a video of someone questioning God. It's actually a piece of slam poetry literally entitled Questioning God by a man named Jim Doolin. And as you're watching, you might resonate with what he's saying. You might uh, listen to this video and say, oh, that's me. I'm asking those same questions. And it also might make you feel a bit uncomfortable. It might be a challenge. You might feel that urge to respond or to defend or shape some responses or arguments. But I want to challenge you to listen well. I want to challenge you to validate to hold those hands open. Maybe you even need to take that posture of having open hands and saying, I can learn from you. Of showing curiosity, saying, I've never met anyone like you, and maybe even finding common ground. Maybe there's words or phrases where you can say, that's a question I'm asking too, or that's a part of my story too. So let's practice together and listen to Jim. So I want to acknowledge that that could have been very difficult to listen to. I know I've, I've listened to it a number of times. It's difficult to listen to. And there's that urge to respond of, I have answers to some of those questions. Right? Or, or maybe it goes through your mind of, of, oh, how dare someone question God like this? But hopefully you were able to set those aside to listen to a complete perspective. To listen to where somebody is coming from asking honest and raw questions and, and I have some phrases that I can learn from. Maybe you noted some too. I want to share mine with you. First, he said, they look at me like they're scared of me. That challenges me. I have to think about my interactions. Do I interact with people as a follower of Jesus in a way that conveys I'm scared? 
but I'm worried about how this conversation could go. I'm worried uh, about this thing. And that leads to the next. Why is their faith such a fragile thing? And we can start to see how jumping in to defend our view, jumping in maybe to defend God, and, and go, coming in with those arguments could perpetuate this idea that our faith is a fragile thing. That we cannot stand, that our faith cannot stand hearing another perspective, hearing someone we disagree with. I have to come in and defend because maybe my faith can't handle it. At least that is how this has come across. And I'm challenged by that. I need to learn from that. And then even beyond what I can learn, I found some common ground. Maybe you did as well uh, with these lines. I feel like an outsider. I felt that where you feel like everybody else understands. Everybody else has it figured out. Everyone else is able to live the way maybe I want to live or doing the things that I want to do. And I feel like an outsider. And then attached to that, I want to belong. I wish I could belong. And I feel that too. Am I still a good person if I don't know? Man, I have questions, and if I don't have answers, am I a good person? Am I allowed to ask questions? These are things that I've wrestled with and I resonate with when I hear Jim say it. And, and lastly, I could really use some help down here. Man, that's me every day. Whether I'm really feeling overwhelmed or not, I could really use some help down here. And when we make these connections like this, we enter into somebody's story just maybe for that moment, just for a time, where our stories intersect and we say, me too, that's a part of my story as well. And that's why it's so important to listen to others, to truly listen, to understand, to allow people the space to share for themselves, to share their journey, their pain, maybe their questions. And if you remember uh, from my opening story with the host at our organization said, ask questions and then share your story because they've never heard that. Maybe we have a unique message when we find that common ground. Well, I've been saying to make the gospel good news, we must listen, be willing to listen, and then to share. But for the longest time, I didn't think I had a story to share. I didn't think I had much of a journey to communicate to other people. My earliest memory, believe it or not, is in a church nursery. The earliest thing I can remember, I was in, it was either a pack and play or a crib, but I was looking out at all the other kids and thinking, why am I in here? And I remember that. And then I, I said the prayer, you know the prayer, to accept Jesus in third grade church camp. And that's where I really felt, I am following Jesus. I said the prayer, and, and, and here's where I'm at. Uh, and, and, and then I would hear stories of, of people that had radical life change, of people that, that maybe they left an addiction or they left an unhealthy relationship, and Jesus uh, changed their lives. They found healing and belonging and meaning. And for me, it always felt like I've always been with Jesus. I didn't know life other than Jesus. And because of that, comparatively, my story felt boring and average, but then I've discovered something really important. And I want you to hear this. Statistically, most people are average. <laughs> it takes a little bit. But statistically, most people are average. If you're sitting here and you're like, I'm just average. I don't have a story. You're in great company. <laughs> but I've, I've learned that when I give people the space to share, when I truly listen, I can find 
common ground where I can say, that's a piece of my story too. And I might just get invited to share it. And it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be complicated. It's those connection points where we make the gospel good news. I just have to be ready and willing to share if I have the honor to be invited to do so. And you might be sitting there thinking, I don't have opportunities to share. I don't have opportunities to hear or to listen. Maybe you work from home or you don't work uh, directly with people. Maybe you're saying I'm a full-time dad or a full-time mom and all my interactions with humans are a bit smaller than I am. And I don't know how, quite how to approach this. But I'm not saying you need to go door to door. I'm not saying that you need to shout from the rooftops. What I'm saying is we need to find ways to give ourselves space to listen, to share, to be relational in that way. And that might just start with engaging with your community. That we get in these routines of, of convenience and quickness. That we have self-checkout at the grocery store so that we don't have to make eye contact with anyone or we might use click lists, so we literally don't need to see another person that's not in a car, right? And some, for some of us, that might be our goal. I've, I've had those days, or if I can interact with the fewest people as possible, that is a good day. But what if we challenged ourselves to get out of that routine just a little bit? What if you decided to go to a park with your kids instead of playing at home? Give yourself a chance to interact with other people. Give your ch- kids a chance to interact with other kids, What if for one or two things, you chose to go to a physical store instead of shopping online? I know it's not as easy. But I share those examples because I've had interactions, uh, I've had opportunities in both of those spaces to to share and listen, or listen and then share. And and what was amazing was, I I was actually wearing this shirt, my wife says I wear our logo far too often, it's in way too many family pictures, and I admit to that. But, uh, but I've, I have stories from a park and from a grocery store where somebody walked up and said, I've seen that logo. What is that about? And I'm able to say, well, that's my church family. That's the community I'm a part of. Do you have a faith community that you're a part of? And we're able to have this beautiful brief back and forth where in that moment we were on each other's journeys and able to listen and to share. And so if, if you haven't experienced that, that is the reason that we have T-shirts and hats and we have these window clings um, uh, it's not to make our name great. It's a tool to, uh, to engage other people, to, a tool to, to talk about the faith community that you belong to. And we actually have ushers that are gonna be out uh, under the covered area. If you don't have a window cling, we'll just give one to you. We'll even slap it on your car if you don't wanna do that. Uh, it's that click list thing, right? Uh, but, it, but it's a tool to use. It's a tool to start a conversation. I know some of you sitting in the room, because we've heard your stories, uh, are here because you saw a window cling, you Googled, uh, what does this mean? And you ended up here. And now we get to hear your story and you're a part of this family with us. And we love that. And so maybe it's engaging the community. Maybe it's, it's joining a life group so you have an opportunity to practice listening and sharing. Because that's all our life groups do as we listen and we share to each other's, perspective, each other's perspectives. We might use a tool to do that. And maybe it's serving all of our opportunities, whether it's here, whether it's in this building, whether it's with our local partners, whether it's across the world on a short-term trip, we've purposely made all of our opportunities relational. And that means you will always be serving face-to-face with someone and alongside others. It's always an opportunity to share in a relational way. And that's because we want to feed people. We want to serve people. We want to clothe people. We also want to value people. We want to give people an opportunity to share their perspectives, their journeys. And we want to give all of you the opportunity to enter into that for a time. 
But in all of these interactions, whether it's serving, life groups, engaging the community, maybe it's just your family, your friends, and your coworkers, can we aim to have meaningful conversation and not just small talk? I'm always uh, in wonder at how much easier it is to talk about politics than Jesus sometimes. Or maybe we drift towards sports or this other small talk. Whatever makes those interactions easier, but what if we pressed him? What if we asked some meaningful questions? And what if as we ask those questions, we keep the mindset of, I can learn from you. I've never met anyone like you. And we're not so different. We might just have the opportunity to be invited to enter in and to share. To make the gospel good news, we must be willing to listen and then share. I want to close with a quote from the author, Sarah Bessie. She says this, I want to practice faithfulness and kindness. I'm learning to fill my ears with the repetitions of wide eyes and open hands and innocent, fun, holy laughter. I want to practice with intention and joy. I want to tell the truth, but first, I want to live the truth. I won't desecrate beauty with cynicism anymore. I won't confuse critical thinking with a critical spirit. And I will practice painfully over and over patience and peace until my gentle answers turn away even my own wrath. Let's pray together. God, you have given us the greatest news. Lord, by entering into our story, Lord, by experiencing life in which you can tell us I've been there, you have given us an incredible relationship with you that we are driven to share. But Lord, would we first be willing to live in humility and to hear the stories of others? Lord, to speak life instead of just information. Would we be willing to be witnesses rather than obstacles? Lord, that when we have the opportunity where we might just be invited to share, Lord, that we would be ready to share respectfully in a way that values and validates those around us. That when people leave interactions with us, they might say, wow, that is good news. In Jesus' name, amen.